When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello. And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on what to do when you're ignored trying to join a conversation, sending multiple emails to your favorite podcasts, listing your pronouns in business correspondence, and celebrating a 50-year anniversary, but a few months late. For Awesome Etiquette sustaining members, our question of the week is about inviting coworkers to your wedding. Plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a special postscript where I get to interview my dad, Peter Post, on his memories of Emily Post. All that, coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of our home offices in Vermont and is proud to be produced by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. Hey! How's it going, cuz? It's going great. I had two of my girlfriends over for dinner this week, which sounds nearly scandalous in this environment that we are in. But due to uh, a nice backyard and a large table and some friends that I really trust and know really well, it went really, it, it was great. Everyone was able to feel comfortable. And I actually put a tablecloth on a table and a used napkin. Do tell. And I put out just the amount of silverware that we needed, so there was no extra spoon for the dishes that didn't require spoons. Although there was rice, so maybe maybe I should have put out a spoon. <laughs> um, I put out candles. I didn't have flowers for a centerpiece, but I grabbed all the fresh basil, Dan, that you and I have been picking from the CSA. Yeah. Um, I had just huge, huge bush of that, and so I, I threw it into a vase. And it actually, I don't usually recommend putting like a, a heavily aromatic item on the table because you really want the food to be what you smell when you're eating it. I was going to ask about isn't, that. Yeah, like if that if so basil, it's, you know, really strong smell and I didn't want it to to overpower the dinner. Luckily the dinner had a lot of strong like curry. It was that curry marinade that we do. Mm-hmm. It had just such strong smells that it it kind of it won out. But it was it was really nice putting candles out and, you know, making everything up nice and actually really trying to host I would say more than the average, come on over and we'll do, you know, each each pod can grill or whatever. You know what I mean? It yeah. felt nice to kind of do something different that felt a little more like an actual dinner party. It was it was awesome. We stayed late into the night talking outside with like two coats on each. <laughs> well, you're kind of anticipating my question. I was going to say when you're playing that host role a little more, how, how were the guests? Did they dance? <laughs> and it sounds like they did. Yeah, no, my guests definitely participated in the dance. It was it was great. Um and it was it it had that I mean, I, I've gotta say, audience, I've been writing this very long chapter on on entertain or section of the book on entertaining at home, and it's felt so hard to to not throw some classic dinner parties just to, you know, uh, remember the experience and have things pop up that, that remind you, oh, you've got to write about this kind of stuff. Um, or to just feel like you do this regularly. This year has been a year where we just haven't been able to experience that really. And so it was kind of nice, um, among two very close friends to be able to flex that hosting muscle and, feel connected to the work I'm writing about right now. I can only imagine. It must be a real challenge balancing those two things. And yeah, it must it be is. really nice to 
bring them into harmony just a little bit. It it had a really good effect, um, and it, it was it was it was it was just a really great evening. So thank you to my lovely friends for being really really safe and good participants as dinner party guests during this very strange time that we're living in. Because that sounds like so much fun. I know that you are a social creature and thrive <laughs> on those interactions. So I'm simply delighted that you got a chance to do that and that it worked, that it went well. Thank you. I, I Definitely a benefit to the spirit. And kind of quietly as your business partner, I'm glad that the research continues. <laughs> I had a feeling that perspective was going to come in at some point. Um, well, as your business partner, should we get to some business of answering questions today? I think that's a great idea. Let's, Let's do it. Do it. <laughs> awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions. You can email them to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette. Just remember to use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? <laughs> StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our first question is titled, Asking to be Acknowledged. What do you do in a social or work situation, such as a Christmas party or an outdoor barbecue, when you walk up to two people talking to say hello, and they don't acknowledge that you walked up? They do not stop their conversation to talk to you when several minutes go by and they still have not really acknowledged that you're there. Do you walk away or do you stand there and wait? Anonymous. Oh, Anonymous. This is such an unfortunate situation. You paint a vivid picture about a behavior that I think of as one of the rudest that I can imagine, which is failing to acknowledge someone. And before I get into exactly what I would advise you do in a situation like this, I have to point out or just mention how awkward this all feels. And so often when we're confronted with rudeness, the most useful thing that we can do is to learn from it, to say to ourselves, boy, that that feels terrible. That leaves this person in a really awkward and difficult position. And that's why we advise that you don't do it. When you're at functions where a certain degree of mix and mingling is expected, not just allowed, that 
part of the courtesy of that space is that you acknowledge people, you invite people into your conversation, you introduce people when you can, you do self-introductions when it's impossible to have those introductions made by other people. And it is such common courtesy. It is such basic respect to acknowledge people, to make a little pause, to allow for the eye contact and the nod, even if you're not going to disrupt a conversation or interrupt it immediately that someone feels like they've been acknowledged. Anyway, just have to put that baseline in place <laughs> before we no, talk about how you respond to that kind of rudeness. Well, it is it is really important important to put that baseline in in place because it acknowledges that this behavior is wrong, that the, the what anonymous experiences or what what anonymous is describing in this situation is is wrong for the two people talking to be doing from an etiquette standpoint at least. But one thing I want to just tuck in is does anyone else just feel like, oh, my gosh, so been there, so been there? I think everyone. I, this is this is like this situation I actually find to be so annoyingly common. Unfortunately. Uh, unfortunately might even be a much better word. Unfortunately common. It's, I mean, number of times I've, I've been at, you know, parties with friends, people I know perfectly well, and this happens. And you're just like, really? Like, it. It's very strange feeling, and um, and right off the bat, you know, anonymous says, "What do you do um, when several minutes go by and they still, you know, do you walk away? Do you stand there and wait?" And it's so funny for me. It's always de- dependent on each and every circumstances. Sometimes I do just walk away. I'm like, "No, nah, this conversation at this party is not really working. I'm going off, mm-hmm. like you know, or I'm not going to get anywhere here. This isn't going to work." And and you kind of just take the awkward moment there was one created by no acknowledgement being there and so you know what like it's not like i want to say two negatives make a positive but you haven't been invited in to interrupt in order to say goodbye almost seems Mm -hmm. extra like like adding awkwardness and that by just simply walking away it's kind of less awkward than by announcing that you're going to walk away you are getting into the subtlety of the answer that i was really hoping we would get to Oh, good. Oh, good. Carry carry us away. (laughs) I I couldn't agree anymore. I think that in in many ways, the the trick is then not to escalate the rudeness, but to, to disengage from it. And that can feel rude. Oh, like you say, now leaving without excusing yourself or saying goodbye, but you've never been provided with those opportunities. I think that the biggest mistake you can make is to escalate the rudeness. So you wouldn't want to walk away in a huff or Mm -hmm. appear uh, aggrieved or insulted that in in some ways, no, that that's the role of the eye. No, no exasperated. What do they call them? Teapot or or steaming engine, you know, (laughs) like, and in some ways that inspires me to say, if, if there's a way that you can execute a courteous, um, just sort of an eye contact and a and a just acknowledgement. I'm going elsewhere, and that can be enough. If not actually saying I'm going elsewhere and just walking away, but the, but doing it through the through the the quick eye contact or something. And, and I think eye contact's your best friend there. If if you can even get in get that. that much. I was going to say the number of times where I've just been there, and it's like you you almost feel like you're watching a tennis match. You listen to that person, you focus on them, you turn your head and listen to the other person, the other person, the other person, anonymous is right. A few minutes go by, nobody's even made eye contact with you. I think you can depart without without having any major social obligations of courtesy right there. Exactly. And I'll go even further. Ooh, really? If we really put on our best, best, best etiquette hat, <laughs> what is the the best possible face you could put on the rude behavior you're encountering? What is the best possible explanation for someone not interrupting a conversation to invite you in? That that conversation was just so good that it, it was so engaging. They were so into it that for whatever reason, that wasn't a break moment and that in their minds, they're either distracted and elsewhere because they're so engaged or they're thinking to themselves, as soon as I get the opportunity, as soon as this particular exchange provides an opportunity, we'll engage this other person. I'm not going to say the conversation is so private because they shouldn't be having that conversation to begin with. But if it's so good, if that was me in that position and someone tried to get in and then departed, 
I'd want them to leave in the spirit of, oh, I didn't realize something so good was happening here. I'm not going to interrupt it. Like that's the thought I'm putting in my mind as I excuse myself, which is I know a ridiculously <laughs> positive a spin to yeah. put on it, but it's the, the yeah. feeling I'm going to try to get. I think that one of the other, if you wanted to go super generous, it's that they just assume you're going to jump right in because you know them or something. Mm -hmm. It might be a familiarity thing where they're they're just, you know, why wouldn't Kelsey just start talking to us in the middle of this? You know, you know, she she That's always chimes in on stuff. It's another explanation for it. I, I don't think these explanations equate to like reasoning an excuse that really I think can be heavily warranted. I think you you usually do the good thing of acknowledging someone that that should still be the the standard we're aiming for. And of course we are. But you're right, Dan. If you if you went down the major grains of salt, those I think would be them. So this is already a long answer to a short question. Should <laughs> we just take a, a taste of the other option in this situation? What's the other option? What are you thinking? And I've got it in my show notes as stay and fight. And it's not really <laughs> staying to fight, but that you that you hang out and that you look for it's your opportunity to, to get in. in. Silence. <laughs> that you don't mind. You say, okay, this is a public place where there's some expectation that we can move around socially here. And I'll just I'll, – I'll give them a chance to, to find that moment in the conversation to acknowledge me or where there's enough of a pause that I can make my self-introduction or if you already know each other, my contribution to this conversation. And of course, as we said earlier – Situational. There will be times where you stand and wait. There will be times where you interject. There will be times where you walk off without making eye contact. Times where you walk off with making eye contact. It it just will vary. And hopefully you can use consideration, respect, and honesty and a, awareness of your own perspective to really make a decision for what's best for each of those types of circumstances. If you are going to go that route of waiting for your opportunity to kind of break into the conversation, I would also say, don't forget your magic words. Excuse me yes. and pardon me are your totally. absolute friends to wrap that minor interruption in some courtesy. Anonymous, thank you for giving us a chance to explore this super awkward moment. Susan, Susan Jane, what's the matter with you? Why is everyone else having such a good time when you're not? Why do they always leave you out? Do you look different? Is it some way you act? What makes you the outsider? The outsider. The one nobody asks. Our next question is about being a proper podcast listener. Lizzie and Dan, recently I was talking to a friend about advice podcasts and when it's proper to send in a question. She argued that it's rude to send multiple questions or comments because it doesn't let everyone have a chance to get their question answered. Her view is that each listener should only send in one question ever to make it fair to others that want their questions answered. While I certainly don't think it's okay to email questions weekly or even monthly, I have sent questions to various podcasts when I genuinely had a question or idea that I thought they would find interesting. I never expect the question to be answered, of course, but it's nice when I get to hear the advice of someone I respect on the issue. My view is that advice podcasts wouldn't exist without listeners sending in questions, and that as long as no answer is expected, sending multiple questions is okay. As people who have a podcast about etiquette, what is the etiquette of writing into podcasts, trying to be a respectful listener? Oh, trying to be a respectful listener. Thank you for writing in with this question. Write in, write in daily, write in weekly, write in monthly, write in yearly, write in whenever you want. I like it when you all write in just to say, hey, like it's honestly, please write in. The more questions that we get, the better, because it's the more content that we have to choose from for the show. Um, the more questions that we get, the better, because the more voices and perspectives we hear, and we can even start to hear, oh my goodness, here we go. The holidays are coming. The thank you note questions start up and it's amazing. We love getting every single one. It does mean that because the volume increases, we don't have the chance to answer all of them. Um, but 
when you start seeing patterns of people asking very similar questions, it does allow for you to choose that type of question to be answered. And hopefully rather than just answering one individual quest person's question, you're solving a problem for a good 20 or 30 of your listeners. Cause they all wrote in about it, even though one was kind of chosen as the sample version of it. I couldn't agree more with all of the reasons why it is good, 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 and nothing but good to get in it's touch good, good, with good. your <laughs> podcast hosts. <laughs> And what I really like about the way this whole question is set up is that it's paired with, I don't want to say with an expectation, but with the absence of an expectation. And that is so liberating that if you really are operating from that free place of appreciating that there might be a volume that means that you aren't going to get an individual personalized response to everything that you submit, that all of a sudden the cost on you is very low if you don't get that individual response. And I will tell you from my perspective on the receiving end as the podcast host, the benefits so outweigh all those benefits that Lizzie was just talking about outweigh any possible negatives of, oh, this is just too much that the the cost benefit analysis to me is really easy when you strip away those expectations of the personal reply to let those benefits accrue. So I think that you're, you're working really well in both ways, both participating and doing it in a way that's really free. Yeah. Trying to be a respectful listener. I will tell you that we, we rarely ever take, take true sides, but this is one where you asked our opinion and our, our opinion does align with your perspective. (laughs) Write in, please encourage your friends to write in. You really will be keeping the shows that you love alive by making sure that you are contributing to their content. Um, And also by being voices that say we want to participate. I mean, podcast audience engagement is a huge, huge thing. And and this content is created for you. So why not take every opportunity to try and participate in it in, in the ways that you might be able to? Trying to be a respectful listener, we think you are succeeding at being a respectful listener and also at being a respectful participant. Thank you so much. Just remember how Fred prepared himself by convincing himself that people wanted him to speak, by creating confidence in himself. Fred did it. You can do it. This question is titled, Pronouns and Where to Put Them. Good afternoon. I have a question that I'd like to pose for your show. I work on a college campus where a growing number of students, faculty, and staff are choosing to list personal pronouns in email signatures, on business cards, etc. There is quite a bit of writing online that connects to the etiquette of using other people's chosen pronouns, but there's not a lot of etiquette guidance about where to, and not to, list them. Email signature is most common among my coworkers, but we have recently fielded requests to see them on personalized letterhead, business cards, and in the signature line of print letters. Can you provide any guidance locations where a user should and shouldn't list so that an office might have uniform expectations? Thank you, Michael. This is a great question. This is a great question. This is something... Lizzie, that you and I have been talking about now for several months, and this question gives us a chance to go a little bit deeper. Um, For those of our listening audience that aren't as familiar with the practice, it's not uncommon now when making greetings or first introductions to let someone know which pronouns you use. So at a conference that I attend in person, there might be a group at the start where we introduce ourselves and we say, hi, my name's Dan Senning. I'm here from the Emily Post Institute. I use he, him pronouns. And that gives everybody enough information to address me appropriately moving forward, whether they're going to be talking to me or writing to me after the conference or anything. One of the things that this allows for is for no matter what you're used to assuming it takes the assumption out of things right at the get-go, right at the introduction of someone. When Dan and I talk about etiquette of the future, this is one of the things that we imagine expanding to be commonplace uh, for everyone and not, not just within specific communities or groups. 
but that it's really something that we recognize. We don't have a way of telling what someone's pronouns that they use are unless they introduce themselves and let us know what they are. Um, and to respect that in the world of greetings and introductions might mean that one day that's just automatically included in how we introduce ourselves right, right out of the gate. It's a really interesting topic from an etiquette perspective, but I think that Michael, um, our question asker, is really right that there's not as much guidance for some of the specific areas. We see it a lot in uh, business cards and email signatures where people uh, put the pronouns that they use below their name or below their title or next to it. But we don't see it as much, I think, in standard office stationery yet or on the signature of a letter. And I this this really sparked some things for me as we were reading the question. And thinking forward, one of the things I like so much about this question is that there's some specificity. We're really yeah. concerned here with how do we handle this with the written word when we're talking about how we present on emails and company stationery and business cards. It's really thinking about the question of pronouns in terms of how it's going to impact some really traditional etiquette expectations about how we share names, titles, contact information with each other how we establish levels of formality and who has access to the options that allow you to establish those different levels of formality. So it makes a lot of sense to me that the email signature line is a place where it's been relatively easier, where our question asker, Michael, is seeing an adoption of letting people know about pronouns. I like also the specificity of the question saying, well, what about when we move to business cards or letterhead that's personalized or the signature lines of print letters? And I also like knowing that there have been specific requests from people to have these options or to see those things included in um, communication that they're receiving. Because that tells us that this is this is coming in response to a community or an individual request. And that's important from an etiquette perspective as well. Anytime people are asking for things, they're saying, we, we want this, we need this, we want guidelines, we want something to follow. Those are definitely times, you're right, Dan, where we, we pay attention. <laughs> yes, because it's going to make someone else feel good and they're telling us exactly what would make them feel good. And that makes... It easy. So if it's if it's a doable thing, if it's possible, I think it's a good idea to try to figure out the best way to do it. Talk to us a little bit about what letterhead is, because I am sure there are plenty of members in our audience who've never had uh, to use it, or who might work in industries and at businesses where they just don't ever use it. So describe to us sort of what letterhead looks like, since it was one of the specific things Michael was saying. How do we handle letterhead? So in in a professional context. Most often, it's the the letterhead that represents the organization. So it's the, the physical paper that you're writing on or the PDF that you're generating these days comes pre-formatted. There's already uh, printed information on the top and the bottom. And that can look slightly different in different circumstances and situations, but usually it, it identifies the communication as coming from an organization, even though it's from an individual within that organization. So it serves a couple of purposes. It's practical because just there's paper to write on. <laughs> there's uh, information on that paper already that says I'm working for this organization. It makes it easy to get back in touch with the organization to identify who that person works for. And sometimes it looks good, which is sort of an aesthetic choice, think- which is going to come into play in our answer here as well. The setup is that you typically have the company's logo somewhere in the upper left or some some people center things, but there's often the name and address on it if we're talking about personalized, but it has all the contact info often even down to email address, phone number, and website URL. And so when you're thinking about putting this kind of identifying information onto a piece of paper, it makes a lot of sense that we would say, oh, yeah, would we include pronouns here? Absolutely. And for me, the answer there comes from a really practical perspective, that if the information on that stationery is about the organization, the the group, the pronoun information is probably not necessary, it's probably not relevant. So the Emily Post Institute doesn't have a pronoun associated with it. If that stationary gets personalized, if the name and 
individual contact information of someone within the organization is included on that letterhead. So now it's personalized organizational letterhead. letterhead. Yeah. Then you've got a personal choice to make. And one of our core tenets behind good etiquette is that the individual gets to decide how they're addressed, how they represent themselves, how they identify themselves for other people. And having the option to include pronouns as one of the choices there to me is an it's a no-brainer. <laughs> I would absolutely <laughs> totally. want yeah. that option for any individual within the organization and particularly if there are requests for people that the organization is doing business with to include that information. I would want to make sure that's available to anybody who's getting personalized stationery. Now comes the fun part, Lazibos. I was going to say, so here's probably the more specific question. Where on that personalized corporate stationery do you choose to identify those pronouns? Do you do a comma after your name and then the pronouns that you use? Do you do it on the line right below your name? Does it drop down to after your title but before your phone number? I am curious as to what we think is proper placement of the pronoun. This is my thinking on it. And uh, a great big red flag warning that this is not a place where there is a long traditional etiquette that we can look at and say, oh, it's been done this way. So this is the way we're going to do it. This is definitely new and emerging etiquette. And we want to balance the traditional expectations with the very practical reasons that we're moving forward with some new etiquette. Well, one of the things you also said we need to balance it out when we were talking was aesthetics. And I actually, I I, I liked my cousin championing for how something looks and feels to the eye when it came to, to an element of, of adding a piece of information into grouped information. And I think those visual aesthetics are important. And I think, Think the way something looks and feels, not just to the eye, but to the heart matters as well. And when I think about choosing pronouns, it's such a personal choice for people for so many reasons. It's why it matters so much to people, and it's why it's important that we take care with how we adopt this etiquette. But for me, it's such a personal choice that I think of it as part of the identity of the individual. So I would be thinking about including pronoun information closer to the name and title than I would to the uh, contact information. And I've seen it done both ways. I've seen people on, and this is a business card example, not a, a letterhead example, mm-hmm. include pronouns with contact information. So not in the name that's in the middle of the card and the title, but with the preferred ways to contact your I could see that social yeah. handle, your phone number if you give it, your email, and pronouns are included there. I really like the idea of having an option to include pronouns with name and title. And yeah. I'm less certain on whether I would do a name on one line and then write below it pronouns and position or whether I would do name and then someone's position and preferred pronouns on the same line. I don't think in the middle of a business card, I would use a whole line for pronouns. Mm -hmm. To me, that starts to feel like a a lot of line weight in the middle of a pretty small card. Mm -hmm. So that's where the aesthetic visual starts to come into play. But I'm also kind of listening to my heart and that I'm wanting to give that pronoun information placement near the name where where it's sort of connected to the individual in a way that feels close. For me, that's the one that feels, uh, I think, more comfortable in the letterhead position, like having my name followed by my pronouns. Uh, like, and I, I would, for some reason, choose to put a comma after my name and then, and then the pronouns maybe to separate it out. But on the business card, I really liked the description that you had of sort of, here's all my contact info and here are my pronouns. And I feel like that application there, I, I like as opposed to seeing my name and then with a comma and my pronouns after my name on the business card. And I think it'll be different for different people, but I like the exploring of it and the taking the time to think about it because, again, these are trends that we are seeing be much more broadly uh, accepted and used. And it's really, it's really cool to see it. It's really cool to explore it and think about it and apply it to yourself. Traditionally, 
people got a lot of the information that we're talking about sharing explicitly by sharing pronouns from the title. So if you had a business card that shared your professional title as Mr., most people made the assumption that you preferred he, him pronouns. And the same was true of Mrs. or Ms. That that gave someone a pretty clear indication that you were going to be using she, her pronouns. The reality of a world that's not as black and white as binary and isn't served by those assumptions is something that we're coming to terms with now. And it's definitely an area of etiquette where we expect to see continued change. And we don't know exactly what it's going to look like. A lot of people comfortably lean back on those titles as a way to share gender identification. And it might be true that people in the organization make that choice and lean on those traditional assumptions. It's a really important question to think about how choosing to be explicit allows everyone to feel included in the community. And like those assumptions aren't just made about them automatically. And I think, Dan, that is a perfect place to end a conversation that we we could have for a very long time. And we hope to address more as the show goes on. But Michael, we want to say thank you so much for raising this question. Uh, we certainly hope to be providing more detailed information on emilypost.com soon so that you do have search results that land and give solid, good information about how to incorporate pronouns into today's uh, stationary and business communications. Thank you so much for the question. Do you think you can be happy about rules now? Yeah! As long as we remember that rules are to make things better for everybody. Yeah! If you don't understand a rule, find out why the rule was made. If you really know why, then it will probably make sense. Our last question this week is about anniversary announcements. Hi, my parents are celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary in December of 2020, and friends and family are excited to celebrate with them. However, the party we were planning had to be delayed. Would it be appropriate to send out save-the-date invitations in October, including the date of the actual anniversary and the full details of the event plan for March 2021? Sample suggestions are welcome. Thank you for your help. Celebration conundrum. Yay! 50th wedding anniversary. That's a big wedding anniversary. Yes, it is. One thing I really like about the way that Celebration Conundrum has has thought about this, at least I, I think if I'm getting you right here, is that the idea is that if you send the invitation out now, number one, people can plan really far ahead, hopefully. Hopefully all things will be safe and, and people can travel and gather at that point. But what I like is that it would give people a clue that the anniversary party is going to be much long after the anniversary itself. And I think it it might encourage people to congratulate the couple on the anniversary at the time of their actual anniversary, you know, knowing that a that an event might happen, you know, a few months later. But I, I kind of like the idea that this might spur a few anniversary cards coming your parents' way in December. That's my thinking on this one. <laughs> I know. It's a 50th wedding anniversary. This is so much fun. Deal. This is so exciting. I say tell people. I love the idea of sharing the both the date of the actual anniversary as well as the anticipated party plan. Including that information lets the people that receive it know exactly how they could respond personally as well as participate in this group celebration event. And I would appreciate hearing that about someone in my life. Do you know that their 50th is happening, just happened, was on this day, we're planning a big party for then? And save the date. <laughs> save the date. I would say, oh, sweet. And I'm going to give so-and-so a call and just congratulate them and wish them well and tell them how happy I am to know them. <laughs> Celebration conundrum. It sounds like we really like your idea and that you should run with it and that it will probably be a great, a great way to really clue everybody in on what's happening. You don't typically, we should put out there, you don't typically send save the dates for a party like this. And that's part of what makes this a slightly unusual situation. I think one thing you will want to include on that save the date is invitation to follow. Um, Either that or what you should do is just just send the invitation itself as opposed to a save the date. 
and and let folks know we're inviting you to a party in March, but you know, mom and dad are celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary in December. We know this is long in advance, but we're really hoping um, that everyone will be able to come, you know, come March or, or whenever it is. So I think that it, if it has that kind of sentiment, if it has that kind of notion towards it, that people will understand and it'll make sense to your to your group. Okay, because we are a couple of etiquette experts doing an anniversary question. I think we have to okay. mention it. Oh, well, yeah, if we have to mention it. The 50th is a gold anniversary. It is the gold anniversary, the golden anniversary. Do you remember what we did for Mud and Poppy's 50th anniversary? Very well. <laughs> we all went out to the CM Ranch together, and we had a big party, and it was their, I think we said their an- anniversary, how do de you oro. say it in Spanish? De Oro, yeah, De Oro, because they, they spent a lot of time in uh, Colombia um, and raised raised some of their kids down there for a little while, so we thought it was cool to do it in Spanish for them. <laughs> Well, and the other thing that I remember specifically about that family gathering is that the family picture we took there was on the cover of the brand study we did with HarperCollins <laughs> about true. Emily Post. So I, I, I'm confr- I, I look at the image of the family from that moment, not infrequently. <laughs> the, the reason I, I mentioned- try to forget the image of the family at that moment we were all in really awkward stages <laughs> i think i had a ponytail oh. dan had a massive ponytail i think i in every way possible was trying to mimic older cousin peter um so i, th- I it, it was a it was a really fun trip but it's a funny photo to look at for sure <laughs> to get back to our question i can't think about significant anniversaries and not think about that old traditional gifts for anniversaries chart. This is your wood. This is your diamond. This is your paper anniversary. And 50th is? (laughs) It's the gold one. That doesn't mean everyone has to give you gold. I really think about those as anniversary (laughs) present guidelines between the couple. (laughs) I think that's the way people think of them. I guess the the etiquette thought here is that we're, we're broadening um, sort of our language a little bit. We're almost thinking about a save the date for an anniversary party. I wouldn't start to make other jumps into wedding etiquette. Right. There is no registry oh, information. Point. There is no expectation of a gift. There is no Correct. any of that. And anyway, I didn't want to start to hint at it by talking about which gifts go with which anniversaries, but it is such a traditional <laughs> etiquette theme that I, I had to mention it. <laughs> no, it's a very, very good point. While we are kind of jumping into that wedding invitation category by doing a save the date for this party, uh, it will not further jump and include, well, you wouldn't include registry information anyway, but this is not a party that you would register for. All that being said, we certainly hope that it is a party you are able to have come March 2021. And in December, we will be thinking of your parents and all wishing them a very happy 50th wedding anniversary. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or reach us on social media. On Twitter, we're at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your social media post so that we know you want your question on the show. If you love Awesome Etiquette, consider becoming a sustaining member. You can find out more about this by visiting us at patreon.com slash awesomeetiquette. You'll get an ads-free version of the show and access to bonus questions and content. Plus, you'll feel great knowing you help to keep Awesome Etiquette on the air. And to those of you who are already sustaining members, thank you for your support. It's time for our feedback segment where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And today we're hearing from Sarah from Orlando. She sent us a text message about our discussion from a few months back about deciding not to take your husband's last name and what title you choose to use. As a woman who didn't get married until her mid-30s, I didn't feel the need to change my last name as I'd been with it for so long. However, since it took me a while to find the perfect man, you better believe I am a missus. I've earned it. Smiley face. (laughs) Smiley face. I love that. (laughs) So I am Mrs. Maiden Name Here, and no one has ever given me a hard time about it. And I know several women who have done the same thing. I love your show, Sarah. Sarah, thanks so much for writing in. And 
for just embracing it and saying, you know, I've done this. I know it's a little different, but also nobody's given me trouble about it. And I think that's awesome. Nor should they. Sarah, thank you for the feedback. Thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please keep them coming. You can send your feedback or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And this week... Lizzie Post, you surprised me. You did the interview with your dad that I was so hoping you would do. <laughs> That's surprising. No, it, it is. I remembered. I was good. I did the recording. Last night, I went over to my folks' house to make a veggie lasagna, which I have to, to pridefully say came out very well. And while I was there with my folks, my dad and I sat down to talk about Emily Post. I can't wait to hear it. Dad, thanks for sitting down with me for a minute. You're welcome. <laughs> Always love having you on the podcast, even if I remember these things late at night. <laughs> I feel like you're still heroing it out, helping me with homework. So Dan and Cindy had a great conversation the other week, sunny, quiet, about Emily. And so I thought it would be really great if you and I talked a little bit about Emily. And I know that you being the youngest of the fourth generation you might not have quite as many memories of her, but what do you, if anything, remember about your great-grandmother, Emily Post? My experience with Emily really revolved around our time on Martha's Vineyard with her. Okay. And for me, at that time, I was really a five- or a six-year-old. Mm-hmm. And what I remember is two things. I remember being not introduced to her, but... She would spend the morning, the days, on a day bed in her office. It was a beautiful, big, huge bed. It's oversized bed type of a thing. It was a day bed, and she'd be dressed in a regular dress and clothing, not sleeping clothing. Okay. And when we would go to her house on Sundays for lunch, okay. that was when I would see her, we would go into that morning room and say hello to her. And I remember being greeted by her and saying hello to her. And it was really, think about a five-year-old saying hello to an 80-year-old grandmother. <laughs> um, there's not a lot of conversation here. Outstretched on the uh, big day bed. <laughs> there she was. And then we would go into lunch. And I do remember sitting at the table at lunch and being able to, you know, have a very, it, it was never something that was like structured or really? difficult it was it was it pleasant. was lunch it was lunch it was pleasant <laughs> and we were we were her great grandchildren and so i think she just enjoyed having us there it, we were not dealing with somebody who was this famous woman that was the etiquette person she was your grandmother yeah and it was a grandmother type of person that i would be meeting i had no concept that she was a famous person whatsoever at that time sure so sure those are the two things i remember about her and from from family things yeah. then, because I know you were really little when she passed. You were 10 years old. Yes. So so you, I can understand not having a lot of memories of her. Do you remember anything that Poppy specifically would talk about or anything that you remember Mud and Poppy discussing? Again, those, those yeah. for the audience are our grandparents, Again, um, and Bill and Libby Post. So many of Emily's those... Emily's grandkid. I do remember. I mean, yeah. so many of those things are, again, things that are familial things not uh, famous things. things. Sure. Okay. Her fame wasn't what was important about her in our lives. To the family. Okay. Sure. So I, I, I remember them talking about her. Um, it, it, she had the most gorgeous gardens in the world. Yeah. They were just, I mean, people still, you know, all, long after she died, we were taking care of those gardens in our family at our generations. People stopped by and had their pictures taken by them. We, I, I rented one couple that would stop by every year and have their Christmas card taken in front of our oh. garden. Okay? And they told us that. It was amazing. <laughs> but she loved the gardening, but she actually didn't do the gardening. Mm-hmm. John Enos, her gardener, did the gardening. Did the gardening. So she just she said what sit, colors to pick and stuff. She sit outside and... <laughs> point to the things she wanted done <laughs> and those were the things that I'd be and there was never allowed to be a red flower I remember in this the garden right if a red flower showed up 
John was told, get it out. And I remember <laughs> so that. And I remember that she other, the other, one of the other things, two other things that she did. One is, is that she painted furniture. You have some of the painted furniture. I just stripped down the yellow guest exactly. room furniture and, and redid it finally. And it was, it was hard stripping it off. And I actually realized... The paint I'm stripping off is probably the paint Emily put on it. So she she loved <laughs> she loved doing that, and and the colors were blue, a, like a light blue, mineral and, blue, and yellow. Yep. And those two co- there were some red things around well, too. And if you go down a couple layers, there was an olive green. You're mm-hmm. right, and a red, and the blue that the blue dining room the table was. Guy. So and those that, were the colors that yep, we ended up yep. with. And, and but the puzzle so room was green. She, she loved to do that. She really did love. Painting to, furniture. Uh, to, to, get, to, to paint the furniture and clean it up. And the other thing she loved, which was fascinating to me, was she loved radios. <laughs> yes, she did. She sat up in the room upstairs in the, what was called the puzzle room. The room upstairs, it was a porch upst- on the upstairs of the house. It had been fully enclosed, so it was a real room. It was a great room. Everybody sat there. But That's you saw like the, sh- it was the back wall had the yeah. shingles on it from where the old roof was. That's, it was oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And she apparently would sit in that room with the radio and with maps. And she would listen to a station and find out where it was, and she would note it on a map to see where she was getting a signal from. Sure. And and she just loved them. She loved them so much. And this is what I really remember, because I never saw that. I don't know if, you, if, if your listeners remember or can remember, but it used to be a long time ago that what you had was a box radio that was an AM radio. It was not, there was no FM. There was no FM back this then. was AM radios, and it had an AM dial on it, and it had numbers going around, and the dial was, it was a circular dial. She had one of these types of radios in every room in the house. <laughs> and, she really did, and, and I remember them in that house because then we all lived in that house for the next 20 years after she died and everything. And, and here we were enjoying these same radios. And I, the, the radios were a big and important part it of her world. Very, very and of course, cool. the puzzles. Right. And, and our audience has heard us talk about yeah. the puzzles, and they've, they've gotten into puzzles, too. But tell me about what you remember and think about with the puzzles. It's, it's, the puzzles are wonderful to do, but what, you, what is really fabulous about them is, is the history that is written on the back of the puzzle. Every time you completed a puzzle, you wrote who did the puzzle and the date that they did it in. And anybody who put a piece in got their name into the, the puzzle box. box. <laughs> and those go back to... The early 1950s. Right. Um, and but do we have Emily's actual name on any of them? I haven't seen it yet. I haven't noticed. I've only seen Mud and Poppies, but I want to see if Emily ever signed them or if that really was just Mud and Poppies' it generation. Was, it, it, I just love it. it. To me, that is one of the most unique things about <laughs> that show a history of something. A family that history. It's really fun. Yeah. So she was a fascinating woman, and, and she affected people in different ways, and and had a tremendous impact on the world because of that famous part of it. But the familial part, I think, was remarkable in that she was truly a, she really cared about and, and enjoyed being with her family. Mm-hmm. Um, she, you know, when she moved to Martha's Vineyard, first went to Edgartown, she stayed at the uh, Harborside the Harbor View Inn, sorry. The okay, Harbor View just Inn, down the street from right our down house. The street. Okay, or and, what was our house? And she bought the house that we all grew up in mm-hmm. because she wanted to have a place to have her grandson come and stay with her for the summers. That was part of the deal when his parents split. And Pum, my grandmother, agreed, my father's mother mm-hmm. agreed that he could come and stay the summer with her. And then she was willing to buy the house on, on the vineyard. On she really the got vineyard. it for him in a place and, for the two of them again, to spend so the summer. Think, yeah. think family here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that's, that to me has always been a, a cool part of what, who she was, was family, I think, was very, very important to her. I think so, too. So speaking about family being important and this house on 34, 34 Fuller Street that we all grew up in, right. playing in and everything... I find it fascinating that in my immediate family, my mom's family was connected to this place, too, because Granny Pat, my mom's mother, grew up across the street from Emily Post. And there were there were sort of cute stories within the family between the two families. Like Granny told me that 
one of the most shocking things about Emily Post was she was a notorious snorer, and you could hear her up and down Fuller Street snoring with the windows open. Yeah, that was true. You could, and and you could you could hear people walking by on Fuller Street. No trouble at all. We heard some very interesting conversations. Well, yes, no, that I do remember in the house, and that's not but, as related to Emily. But boy, uh, sleep with your windows open, people. Yeah, and, and she did. No, she she apparently but she, snored. Snore. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and when when that family, when your grandmother, Trisha's mother's, was growing up across the street, when they did <laughs> live in that house, you know, people were the, the buses were still coming by, and the Emily Post house was quite famous, and they did. And there's a Saturday. So it was like a tour Post, stop. Yeah. The Saturday Evening Post did a whole story on it of the family across the street, the Lamborns. That was who it was. My mother's um, family. They the painted the sign. The sign painted the sign saying, you know, the Lamborns live here. Every- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, everybody talk about the post that lived across the street. But, yeah, it, what was funny to me is just that for all of that connectivity, we really, until I was 12, 13 years old, didn't mm-hmm. have any connection with them. You know, but and then I, that that's when we were kids. All then then, then mom and dad it. started hanging out as yeah. young teenagers. Right. So it is. <laughs> but it was it was um, the kind of a prank I would have pulled if I was a kid <laughs> living across the street from Emily Post. Oh well, now you've got to tell us. Were there were there any rascally things that you did growing up in the that Emily Post house oh, on we the were vineyard? Terrible. We were terrible. I do remember yeah. hearing that you used to give ten cent tours of the house until your family yeah, realized that, what you were up that was, to. That was all of one day long. <laughs> They didn't like that. You know, it was fascinating to sit there and listen to the things the tour bus operators would say about who lived in the house and what family was there and stuff, <laughs> which had nothing to do with reality. But it was a good spiel, and you really appreciated that that they just they put something they, into they, it. They put something into it. <laughs> I'm not sure where it all came from. That that was interesting. No, we used to go up on the widow's walk and throw little crab apples down on the buses when they went by. And that was. I always wondered what it was like being in the bus and suddenly hearing. Bah, 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 bah. Well, I'll tell you <laughs> that we weren't allowed to do that. That was not. Yeah, we not meant to do that. That carried through the generations because I yeah. heard that story. Being a mischievous child, Beezer Phillips and I went up there and threw crab apples down at the street. And the woman who lived in the Lamborns' house at the time, now obviously right. not our family, the Lamborns, came out and said, "Lizzie Post, you come down here and clean up these <laughs> apples that you smashed on the street." You do not throw things up from the widow's walk. Right, right. I got in so much trouble from a stranger I didn't know. Yeah. But very cool, Dad. Thank you so much for You're taking welcome. the time to share some Emily memories, um, both for our own family archive and for our awesome etiquette audience to, to indulge in. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. <laughs> Try to think up new ways you can help your family and ask your mother and father about them. They'll be glad that you want to do something that proves how much you love them and appreciate all the things they do for you. We like to end the show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Dan, who is our salute from today? Today we have an email from Kristen. She begins... Today, I'm using one of my favorite podcasts to salute another of my favorite podcasts, (laughs) The History Chicks. The hosts, Susan and Beckett, are always very respectful of the women they profile, even if they sometimes have a Lizzie-esque cheekiness. Their podcast is very inclusive, and although they're always discreet, they are careful to warn listeners in the beginning if there is content that might be inappropriate for little ears. I appreciate their wonderful style of bringing fascinating women from history to life, many of which I've never heard of before. Also, to my pleasant surprise, as I was looking my way through their back catalog, I discovered that episode 91 is devoted to Emily Post. Also, she is frequently mentioned in later episodes related to women from the same era. At the end of Emily's episode, when they list resources and media related to the subject, they highlight both the Emily Post Institute as well as the Awesome Etiquette Podcast. So a big thank you to the hosts of the History Chicks for providing an entertaining and educational podcast. And I hope the listeners of Awesome Etiquette can enjoy learning more about Emily Post as much as I did. Kristen. Kristen, thank you so much for this salute. This is awesome. This is history and etiquette and thanks and gratitude. All of my favorite things wrapped up in one. (laughs) I remember the 
episode of the History Chicks that you're talking about. I think it's excellent. Thank you for bringing it to our attention one more time. And thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone who sent us something. And thank you to everyone who supports us on Patreon. Please connect with us and share this show with friends, family, and coworkers, however you like to share podcasts. You can send us questions, feedback, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. By phone, you can leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we are at Emily Post Inst. On Instagram, we are at Emily Post Institute. And on Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Please consider becoming a sustaining member by visiting patreon.com slash awesome etiquette. You can also subscribe to the ads version of our show on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. And please consider leaving us a review. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Thanks Chris, Chris and Bridget. And Bridget.